Okay, we're going to um, continue with our study in Colossians. This is study number eight. Today is November the 29th, 2022. Our next verse that we're going to look at is Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Colossians 1, verse 25. It says, Whereof I... The Apostle Paul am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you, which he's referring to the Colossians, to fulfill the word of God. <clears throat> Paul states, or Paul tells us that I am made a minister. The Lord had made Paul a minister of the church. Now, I want you to keep in mind that this is the only time that Paul refers to himself as a minister of the church. However, Paul had referred to himself as a minister of the New Covenant in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he also as a minister of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and also as a minister of righteousness in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But only here, in Colossians 1.25, does Paul refer to himself as a minister of the church, the church, according to the dispensation of God. Paul also, on a regular basis, often referred to his associates as ministers of Christ in Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Timothy. Paul was made a minister of the body of Christ, the church, according to the dispensation of God, which was given to him. As most of you know, the word dispensation comes from two Greek words. It has the idea of the management of a household or a divine arrangement and administration governing a truth and a plan. But this new divine administration given to the Apostle Paul pertained to a new way in which the Lord would relate to his people through the law of Moses, a legal relationship. Now, the Lord was going to relate to his people through the church, a grace relationship. Paul was made the chief custodian of the truth pertaining to this divine administration. The specifics or plans of it are to be found primarily in Paul's epistles. As Paul writes to the Colossians, he says that the dispensation of God was given to him for you. This literally means that the truth relating to the divine administration of the church was for those people in, their lo in the local assemblies. Sometimes Paul spoke as though the truth was mainly for the Gentiles. Example would be, Tony, uh, Ephesians 3, 1 through 8, if you will, please. Ephesians 3, 1 through 8. Verse 1 says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner 
of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. There he says, you Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, or another way of putting that last part is to me for you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote in a few words. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Ephesians 3.6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of this promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Verse 8, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this given grace given that I should preach, there he goes again, among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, even though it appears to throw the door, so to speak, wide open for the Gentiles to come to the Lord. In Ephesians 3, 6 that I just read, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now, Tony, I'm going to come back to that verse in a little bit, 3.6, so you might want to keep that in mind. During this present age of grace that we are in, when God is relating to the men through the divine administration, the church right now, there is no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. All the Jews and all the Gentiles are totally dependent upon the mercy and grace of God for their salvation. In our verse, Colossians 1.25, our main verse here we're looking at, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you, the Colossians, to fulfill the word of God. Paul says that his unique ministry was to fulfill the word of God. The Greek word here, uh, 4137, translated to our English word, fulfill, gives us the idea of making full, to fill or to fill up. And this statement about the the fact that his unique ministry was to fulfill the word of God is open to two possible interpretations. The first possible interpretation goes like this, that the truth of the dispensation of God mentioned here is the word of God for the church and for Paul's ministry was to make it fully known to help to make men to make all men see this particular church truth. Whether or not this is the emphasis of this particular statement, one thing, though, is for certain. This was Paul's consuming burden, you could say. Now, the second possible interpretation of this verse is that the dispensation of God is the final or the latest revelation of truth that God has made and it fills and it completes the canon of the word of God. 
It is God's final message pertaining to the body of Christ, the church, as to what it is and how we are to live as members in it. Now, regardless of which one of these two interpretations you give this passage, the dispensation of God or the divine arrangement of the church is the last or the latest program and purpose that God has revealed to us and that you and I are to give it our all that we have and to help make it fully known. Tony, uh, if you could turn to Ephesians 4.1. Ephesians 4.1. It reads, uh, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that we are to walk worthy of the vocation, or in other words, or the of this calling wherewith you are called. In our reading of Ephesians 4.1, this is the only time that Paul speaks of himself as being a prisoner in or of the Lord. Generally, Paul speaks of himself as being a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So just four times in his last seven books, Ephesians, Philemon, 2 Timothy, the underlining reason that Paul was a prisoner was because of the message that he preached which was the mystery, the truth for the church. This church truth, which Paul was, has written about in the first three chapters of Ephesians, the mystery, which the devil and those involved in legalism literally do hate. Now the question for you this evening is, why is there so much hatred for this mystery truth? The answer is fairly clear. It is a special revelation of truth explaining how God is relating to his people in this particular age of grace through the church which Christ is the head. This special revelation of truth given to and through the Apostle Paul is God's right-on target message. For the present dispensation of the grace of God, even though the enemies of the gospel of the grace of God tried to stop Paul's mouth from declaring this new revelation of church truth by bringing about his imprisonment, but they, and I'm referring to the enemies, utterly failed because in the first three chapters of Ephesians Paul boldly makes it known in permanent written form having laid out a solid doctrinal basis the premise on which the truth for the church rests what Paul has really done for the Colossians is he has put these believers in a position to know the mind and will of God for this present church age because the Colossians knew what God had done for them. They also knew that they had been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ and they also, the Colossians, knew that they had been given the privilege of being members of the Christ body and now all you listeners, now so you have too. 
Now, the Colossians are to walk worthily of the calling which they were called. The last thing in Ephesians 4.1 tells us, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation, or in other words, or the calling wherewith you are called. What does Paul mean by the phrase, the calling wherewith you are called, in in Ephesians 4.1? Paul uses this noun, the word calling, some ten times. Nine and once to an occupational call in the Bible. It speaks of God's sovereign call at the appropriate time in history, when he leads those whom he has chosen in Christ before the world to position to a position of justification and glory. This call is referred to as a high calling, also a holy calling, or a heavenly calling. The Holy Spirit is the one who affects this call at the appropriate time. As Paul writes to these elect, called members of the body of Christ, Paul encourages them to walk worthy, to live in keeping with, in a manner becoming, and in a manner which corresponds to their holy calling. And a good example would be Tony, if you turn to Second uh, Timothy one nine, Second Timothy one nine. Let me get a drink of water here. Second Timothy one nine, who has saved us and has called us for a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And Ephesians 1.4 tells us, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I guess you could say the bottom line to this whole subject is that God marked out his territory before the foundation of the world and the Holy Spirit is the one who affects this call at the appropriate times. Tony, let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to complete uh, this first chapter tonight. So, Colossians 1, 26. Even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations. Then all of a sudden we got these words, but now is made manifest or apparent to his saints. The Greek word translated the mystery has a basic idea that which is a secret, hidden or concealed. The word mystery is used 28 times in the New Testament. Three times in the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Three apparently record, record, three apparently record the same word, which means that Jesus used this word only once. The Apostle John used the word mystery four times in the book of Revelation. 
the Apostle Paul used the word mystery, get a load of this number, 21 times in six of his epistles. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, 2 Thessalonians, and 1 Timothy. 18 times Paul used the word mystery with reference to a distinct body of truth that has been revealed to him. Three times Paul used the word mystery with the basic meaning of a secret. Ephesians 3.9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, from which the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. A search in any of the scriptures written before Ephesians will fail to find any traces of this mystery. It is not hid in the scriptures. Some would like to think that it is spoken of in Romans, but the structure of the book makes it plain that it was another mystery spoken of. There are many mysteries in Scripture. The time element does not bother, goes back farther than that of the kingdom. In Matthew 25, verse 34, we read, The kingdom prepared for you from the overthrow of the world. This is from or since the overthrow of the cosmos. So those chosen for the church were chosen before those of the kingdom. Now, we can say with perfect safety that the overthrow was from the beginning of the ages. This this was where ages ago sin entered the universe or the cosmos. And before that catastrophe, there was a promise of life, a promise that all things would someday be right, in hope of eternal life, which our God cannot lie about. Promised before the ages began. This promise was been made known along with the mystery. It is really part of it. And that's in Titus 1, verse 2. But there will be other universes There may be other universes, but whether they have a problem of sin and ruin, we don't know. But this one thing we do know, and that is that the earth is the theater of our little universe for the saving plan of God. This is sort of a, sort of hard to comprehend, but it is the theme of the scriptures. The bottom line is God said it, and that is good enough for me. I believe it, but I may not understand it. In Colossians 1.26, our verse, it says, The mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints. Not only was the mystery hid in God, but it was hid from the ages and from the generations. So way back in ages past, long before Adam came on the scene, this mystery was hidden. And from the generations of the heavens and the earth, along with the generations of Adam, were made known. It was still a secret, or not made known. Prior to the Apostle Paul, no one in any age nor any generation knew anything about the mystery. During this time, it was a secret, 
in the mind of the Godhead until it was made known to Paul, and he in turn told others. Israel had never even heard about it. Satan did not even know anything about it. Even the angels in heaven did not know anything about it. And neither did the principalities and powers in the heavenly places know anything about it. Paul uses these words, but now, here in Colossians 1.26, to focus on a pivotal point in time. Prior to the time represented by the words, but now, the mystery was a secret in God. But you need to go and read the Old Testament again, and then read all the New Testament, written before the end of Acts. You will not find any trace of this mystery. Paul was speaking under inspiration when he said, Now is made manifest to his saints. Now was when Paul was writing to the Colossians, not sometime back in Acts, as some would like to say. But now literally means now, not some other time. There was a time when God dealt with men through the administration of the law. During that time, the mystery was perfectly guarded, secret in God. When the nation of Israel rejected God's prophetic program, the king and his kingdom, God revealed to Paul through the New Testament apostles and prophets the truth of the mystery. The last part of our verse that we're looking here, Colossians 1.26, reads, Even the mystery which had been hidden for ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. The main emphasis here is that no human being previously knew about the mystery, but now it was manifested or made known, visible, disclosed and opened up to his saints or his holy ones. The difference here is between all the people who lived previously and from whom the mystery was totally hidden and the new, the now people of God, in other words, the saints to whom it was been disclosed, this disclosure to the saints has been primarily through the Apostle Paul. Okay, Tony, let's go to Colossians 1, verse 27. Colossians 1.27 reads, To whom God would make known that what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now this particular verse is a really, a real good example of why you should word study each word in a verse for its correct meaning. The fourth word in this verse, in the King James Version, is the word would. That's Strong's 2309. And the meaning uh, of this word is to exercise the will in the sense of positive determination. The thought here is of the word would, which is more accurately expressed by the English words of which uh, it shows wanted, prayed, longed for, or desired. It possibly appears to us that there is a certain degree of human likelihood involved in the carrying out of God's will. 
Historically speaking, the mystery was revealed to the saints of Paul's day. In the same setting, God willed to make known to them, these saints, just what the rich glory of the mystery is in among the Gentiles. The thing that God willed and the thing God wanted them to know was the quality and richness of the glory that belonged to the mystery. Or putting it another way, God's will for them was to know something that was really important, such as the exceeding rich glory of the mystery. Notice that this surprising rich glory of the mystery is now also among the Gentiles. Before this time, the Gentiles were basically spiritually bankrupt in trespasses and sins against the background of the truth of the mystery. It was exceedingly glorious. Once again tonight, Tony, we're going to look at Ephesians 3.6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and fellow partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now, like I said, this is the first time that the Gentiles had heard of this glorious message of the mystery, that they could also become these following three things, fellow heirs, fellow body members, and fellow partakers of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. The main thought here is that according to the revealed mystery, the Gentiles and the Jews are now fellow heirs, fellow body members, and fellow partakers of this thing called the promise, which is that Christ would spiritually reside in them. The hope of glory. Keep this in mind that these saved, un, these unsaved Gentiles were undoubtedly well acquainted or very familiar with the evil spirits that were indwelling in them. And now the thought of the Son of God living in them certainly must have been somewhat of a wonderful news to them. This idea of Christ dwelling in believers is affected through the indwelling Holy Spirit. After Jesus promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit would be in them, then he continues to tell them that he would come and make his residence with them. But again in Ephesians, the indwelling Spirit and the indwelling Christ are associated and the latter dwells in the hearts of believers through faith, as it tells us. And, Tony, would you go to uh, pieces 3, 16, and 17? Pieces 3, 16, and 17. Verse 16 says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit and the inner man. That Christ, verse 17 says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. The center and the heart of the mystery truth is that the fact that Christ is in believers. And this is the basis for the hope of glory. Uh, Tony, would you go to, uh, please go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Philippians 3. 21. It says, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned 
like unto his glorious body, according to the workings whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, according to three, Philippians 3.21, our bodies will be conformed to the body of his glory. We will be given glorified bodies like his for our external existence with, with him. Now, the fact that Christ is in us now and that we belong to him and that now we are intimately related to him. The word now assures you and I of one thing for sure, and that is our future glorification will be with him. Our position of Christ in us is permanent. We are sealed in this position in the Holy Spirit until the time of redemption, namely when our physical bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. Our position of Christ in us is permanent. We are sealed in this position by the Holy Spirit until the time of redemption, namely when our physical bodies will be transformed to be just like his glorious body. Tony, would you go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. 13 reads, And in whom you also trusted after you heard that you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 14, 1.14 says, Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession until the praise of his glory. In other words, Paul is talking about the fact that the Gentiles had heard the word of the truth, the revealed mystery. But the good news was that they, the Gentiles, now also had the privilege of becoming members of the body of Christ, the church. Separately from the Jews, no Gentile would have been interested in nor able to become a member of the church, the body of Christ without God's sovereign purpose to make the Gentiles fellow heirs with the Jews in the body of Christ. We can rest assured that if God has sovereignly put Christ in us, he will also sovereignly glorify us with Christ. This is the hope of the mystery. Okay, Tony, let's go to Colossians 1, verse 28. We're trucking. Got two to go. Verse 28, whom we preach or proclaim warning every man. Now the word every man here is used three times in this verse. In whom whom we preach or proclaim warning every man and preaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Having been told in Colossians 1.27 that Christ is in them, and that this truth is the basis for their hope of glory with him, Paul now goes on to explain the kind of ministry he had and his purpose. When it comes to speaking about Christ, Paul says Christ is the one that we are to proclaim. The word proclaim here has this basic meaning of 
distributing a message or making known a message. Paul was <clears throat> continuously talking about announcing Christ using the method suitable for the circumstances. The important thing to see here is that Paul's message centered in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul continually talked about Jesus Christ. And Paul and his associates continuously communicated Christ to others. They were warning every person or every man. And the word warning is applied that Paul, using with him, were continuously warning every believer of the terrible consequences of not obeying this latest truth of the church. Three times the singular phrase, every man, is used in this verse we just read, emphasizing that Paul is taking, talking about a personal one-on-one -on -one ministry. Paul was continuously involved in teaching every man in all wisdom. The most important thing was teaching the content of his teaching. It was in the area of all wisdom. The word wisdom here is the singular, and it refers to a given body of truth, the mystery, which is the subject of this text. The truth that is contained in the mystery is a special revelation of truth regarding the body of Christ, the church, and as such is the wisdom. We are to you and I are to specialize in reaching today. It gives us believers the data necessary for living pleasingly to God in this church age. Paul's purpose in proclaiming Christ and warning and teaching in all wisdom was that he and his co-laborers might present every man perfect in Christ. The word to be present literally means to stand beside to place beside, or to position oneself before in the presence of another. Paul's common use of this word makes it clear that his purpose was to present every man perfect in Christ before or in the presence of the Father. The Greek word 5046 translates into our English word of perfect. And it means to have brought to a completion one who is fully developed or to be mature. Then warning and teaching the truth of the mystery, Paul sought to produce spiritual development, maturity, and perfection in Christ before the God the Father. All right, Tony, let's go to the last verse in this chapter, Colossians 1.29. We're about done. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily. <clears throat> I want you to keep in mind that through Paul's warning and Paul's teaching, he was striving to present every man, every person, to be perfect in Christ. You talk about a goal or a target to hit. Paul labored. He struggled. He gave of himself until he was totally 
tired, and he was exhausted. Paul also uses the Greek word that translates into our English word as striving. Number strong 75. We get our English word for agonize from this Greek word. The use of this word possibly tells us that Paul continuously labored and strived to teach every person or man all the wisdom of the mystery, the truth of the church, that Paul might present every person or man perfect in Christ. When Paul was writing the book of Colossians, he was led to use this word, number 75, in the Greek language for the word strive. That suggests to us that Paul considered himself as someone who was contending and striving against the evil one. As Paul taught the truth of the mystery, because stating the truth of the mystery is God's will for today. In the last part of our verse, Colossians 1.29, Paul says that his striving was according to God's energy. God was the one who continuously energized and worked very powerfully in the Apostle Paul. By means of the Holy Spirit, God energized in the Apostle Paul, which enabled Paul to faithfully teach all the wisdom contained in the mystery to every person. It is very important for us today to notice that this message was all the wisdom of the mystery. The object was that every person might be perfect in Christ, and the means was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we've now ended the first chapter of Colossians. There, there's a total of 95 verses in Colossians, and we just did 29 of them here in the first chapter, so that leaves us 66 verses to go. And I'm here to tell you, that is all for tonight. And I really want to thank you for listening. Thank you, Tony, for posting the scriptures. The next time uh, we will start at Colossians chapter 2 verse 1 and uh, I want you to have a good evening and I will close with in the name of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus Amen